Hey everybody, welcome to episode 55 of Founders Gyan and thanks for tuning in. Each week we bring you the inspiring story of a startup and the founders behind the same. This week we have Mr. Pramod Raheja, the founder and CEO of mystaffnow.com on the show. Pramod has a sales background and he gives us a sales 101 for entrepreneurs in our deep dive section. Do check out the show notes at foundersgyan.com. Slash EP five five that is EP episode fifty five and without further ado let's get on to the show. Pramod, glad to have you on the show. Uh, Pramod Raheja is the founder and CEO of MyStuffNow dot com, a company that matches businesses and freelance talent through data driven decision making. We'll talk more about on the show. Pramod, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, Pramod, before we get into some of the more serious stuff, I read on your uh, LinkedIn profile that you're a captain for United Airlines, uh, which I suppose is the pilot. So, how does that work? Uh, you have your own business and you're a pilot too. How how does it work? Ah, uh, yes, that's correct. Um, I uh, started uh, sort of uh, since I was a young chap. I, I'll say. Uh, Always selling something, uh, regardless of what what I was doing, whether I was in school or early in my career at jobs, I was always kind of selling something on the side, and uh, just had this, I guess, entrepreneurial sort of bone that was there. And and when I was growing up, it wasn't as it is now, where you know entrepreneurship is talked about quite a bit um, in schools and even as a young person. Uh, so. I became a pilot, which was my dream. And as I was flying, I was also always doing something on the side. And um, about ten uh, years ago, or so, a little around around ten years ago, a little bit, let me be eleven years ago now. Um, I left flying and took a leave of absence and started another business, not the not the current one that I have now, and that was called Intelligent Office, and I grew that. Uh, it was an executive suite type of company that that here in the U.S. that uh, uh, we grew in this area from one to four locations um, and uh, grew that quite a bit and enjoyed it. But um, I also uh, enjoyed the flying and, and the goal was to, to be able to see if I could do both. Um, and so hence, uh, yeah, I've been doing that now for a few years uh, in terms of doing both. And you know, a relatively uh, uh, full time. So how that works is, uh, yeah, I essentially uh, work all the time. But I, uh, but I don't call it work because I enjoy both very much. Right. Okay. So, so you're a full time captain for United Airlines, is it? Is, is that, that how it works? That's correct. Oh, okay. Excellent. Uh, great. Now let's talk about uh, my stuff. Now uh, you already touched on your background. I, I also saw a lot of startups on your LinkedIn profile again, and uh, so uh, you already touched on. Uh, I think one of them. So uh, could you just elaborate a little bit on your background and how did you start and when did you start my stuff? Now. Sure. Um, you know, background. We you, you've got a little background there as a pilot. Um, I was, uh, you know, engineering uh, major in in college, which was the path I thought I thought I was going to take. But then got into flying, and of course, uh, eventually into entrepreneurship. 
Um, and uh, so Intelligent Office was something I started back in 2004 that was, a uh, like as I mentioned, an executive suite where we focused mainly on virtual services, so providing a suite of services to small to medium-sized businesses. Uh, one of those things uh, was in a, in, a, in a sort of a light format was uh, some staffing. Essentially, we were the front end of um, for a client. Uh, and I thought to myself, why can't we be back end? And, you know, in terms of doing their back end and helping them with other aspects of their business. So that particular business, Intelligent Office, was, of course, not built that way. That was not the focus of Intelligent Office. Um, so out of Intelligent Office, um, the idea, you know, as I'm talking to my clients back then, you know, in, in the 2007, 2008, 2009, kind of for a few years, just learning that they really, uh, really had issues with finding talent, just even for short term needs, whether it was marketing or graphics or admin or what have you. Uh, and they typically needed specialized talent. So the talent that we had working for us couldn't, couldn't handle those type of things. You had to almost create a whole new business to do it. And essentially in 2012, uh, that's what I did. I started my staff now in 2012 with the intent to, uh, do a much better job of matching, freelance talent to to small to medium sized businesses uh and uh you know seeing that they had a pain point uh and as i as i spoke to those potential clients and found out what they were currently doing at the time um uh, some were doing nothing some were asking for references some were going to the big marketplaces online of the time like upwork or at that time elance and odesk uh and they were they were trying to find uh talent there, but it was a jungle almost to them. It was such a big place that they didn't have the time to really screen properly and find the right talent. Um, it was almost another whole HR function. So I've, you, you know, so my staff now became eventually kind of a boutique concierge where we, we handled everything for them. They just told us what they needed. Uh, and, uh, and we handled it. And so, um, that's where we found our niche. Uh, and uh, since then, we've actually expanded into some traditional recruiting, uh, which is with, with the with the employment rate low here in the U.S. It's, it's specifically where we live. Uh, there's a lot of demand for that. Um, and then our goal was to always really get into product. And uh, as we built out the My Staff Now product, we found that you know there was a lot of demand in other areas. And one other area that I know well from many years of experience is uh, sales. And so we. Uh, we uh, we built a product just recently called Sales Matcher, which we're very excited about, uh, as it's it's it'll probably form the basis for other products as well. Okay, that's that's great. So uh, one of the questions that I kind of had in my mind was uh, uh, getting your first clients would have been difficult for my stuff now, but uh, since you're already kind of in the business, was that first step easy, or did you still have to do a bit of hustle to get your first clients? Well, I'd say in any, any new business, there's always a lot of hustle. So even though um, I had another business with a client base, which was very helpful, you know, from a, from the network standpoint uh, and, and a warm market standpoint, uh, you st I still had to hustle. But yes, I mean, it did make it easy for me to test the market and to figure out if this was a good idea or not. So my staff now is actually created uh, by uh, we actually went out and we did some testing and 
actually got paid. And so my staff now is, uh, you know, paid f- before the company even started. I, 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 we did, we provided some services to a client that had, we were trying to just, you know, ask them some questions and they said, no, we actually need help. And can you help us? And so we helped them. Uh, they paid us and then the, the, uh, the company was started with that first check. So we deposited the check into the bank and created the company. So the little bit of hustle was required, but yeah, the warm market, the warm, the, the warm market certainly helped. Right. So I think, I think that's, that's, that's a great takeaway there because uh, a lot of startups kind of focus on building the right uh, product or the right service before going to market while common sense uh, and uh, startup 101 dictates that uh, you try to first find a paying customer and then uh, kind of use that paying customer to build your uh, product or service. So I, I think uh, it, it worked out well for you, right, in, in that aspect? Yes, correct. That is true, okay. yeah. Okay, great. Now, one of the other questions that I had is like, from, from what I understand of your business, uh, you have uh, certain uh, certain uh, people on on your payroll, your contract, uh, and uh, do you send these people uh, to clients, or is it that whenever a new requirement comes up, you kind of source the uh, source the resource at that point of time? So we maintain a curated pool of freelancers uh, and contract talent that. Uh, that we utilize as requirements come in. So those freelancers are not necessarily under our payroll. Uh, Yes, we do handle uh, their payments and everything in between, but only as requirements dictate. So if there's, if they're not, you know, uh, currently doing any work, then there's no payroll, of course, but if they are doing something for a client, then of course they'll be getting paid as well. So, uh, so as requirements come in, uh, then yes, we, we do our best job, the best job we can to source and then of course match. And the sourcing over time has become easier, uh, just based on the fact that our pool has grown, uh, quite a bit in terms of freelancers and we don't accept everybody. It's a, it is a, it is a bit of a niche play because we are focused on finding very good freelance talent. So as, as somebody enters our system on our website, we will schedule an interview with them and uh, get to know them a little bit, get to know a little bit about their background, make sure their profile is built out uh, properly, and then accept them or not accept them into the system. And then once we accept them, then of course, we will start giving them assignments based on requirements. Okay, and uh, how do you actually manage uh, this entire process? Because uh, if, uh, let's say I'm a freelancer and you interview me and I get accepted into your system, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I'll be free whenever you want me for a job, right? So how does this whole uh, resource allocation work? Yeah, sure. Uh, so resource allocation, well, that that's... Uh I'd say, yeah, obviously it depends, right? So um, in many cases, uh, freelancers, we, we have a, a pretty good core group that, um, that will know what they're working on and uh, you know, how busy they are. Of course, the ones that were, are not in that core group, that's a smaller core group, of course, uh, that particular subset, um, 
we'll have to reach out to them. So we basically maintain uh, their profiles and contact information, you know, within our own database. And as requirements dictate, uh, we can we can uh, search, filter, narrow down exactly who we're looking for, or or what subset of of, of types of freelancers we're looking for, and then uh, reach out to them through a message and and see if they're available. Uh, and, 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 you know, and when they're available and how much they're available based on, of course, based on client requirements. If somebody needs a, somebody 40 hours a week, of course, that's a, certainly a very different requirement than if somebody needs somebody just for five to 10 hours a week, which is more, more the norm, you know, more the norm is supplemental than it is full time. Um, so, um, so, so, so to answer your question, because of that norm, it's it's not too difficult, you know, to 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 re- allocate resources because the time requirement is typically smaller. It's more supplemental work, ongoing, uh, whether it's graphic design or marketing or blogging. Uh, we in fact find that uh, there are certain things that that really are <clears throat> more predominant than others, and one of those is marketing and creating content uh, in this day and age. Uh, you, you have to kind of stay on top of your content, and that's very difficult for a small business. So we have we have a you know a few products, uh, productized services we'll call them, where you know we we uh, we we they're all sort of off the shelf. For example, a blogging product where somebody will buy one to four blogs a month or more, and uh, it's just a set price and it's delivered on a certain date. And so we've tried to actually innovate a little bit by not just having a straight up freelance service, but actually having some products, products around the freelance service as well. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm just looking at your site and uh, you mentioned that you just answer a few questions about your needs. I, I'm talking from a client's perspective and uh, you, you say available pros are instantly matched. So uh, how are you able to give these instant results? Uh, because at the back end, you still need to figure out uh, if these people are available at for the client's specific needs, right? Uh, how does the algorithm uh, intelligently match this? Sure. So, in, in, in right now, the um, the in, in uh, my staff now, the client is not going to receive an automatic algorithm match. Um, they're going to there's going to be an algorithm in the background, but then the human is actually going to still curate that and make sure. That it is a good match. So, so even though we have our database internally that's uh, in the back, running in the background and finding people, we're still, for the freelance perspective, still, um, uh, you know, doing that matching sort of with some human curation. Uh, and uh, one of the things, as I mentioned earlier in my background, is that we've started to venture out into other types of uh, matching as well. And uh, you know, our, our website, you'll see. In the next month or so, we'll probably change quite a bit to to reflect that. And one of the products we built uh, that kind of answers your question a little bit more is something called SalesMatcher, uh, SalesMatcher.com. And that one, that product specifically actually does have an algorithm that automatically does match. So if somebody enters the system there, it actually does immediately send results. <laughs> so so that's the goal also with the freelancing. But we found that the freelancing was a little more difficult to do that right off the get-go. Uh, with Sales Matcher, we use a personality matching. And so it's a little bit, I won't say it's easy, but it's a little bit more, um, uh, it's easier to make it a little bit more automated because typically when individuals or companies are looking for sales uh, people, they're 
they're looking kind of at the top of the funnel. How do I narrow down the pool? And so the, that's what SalesMatcher does. It's a top of the funnel product that narrows down the pool of candidates to the right candidates you should be interview, interviewing and speaking to. Uh, where freelance, we find that it's not so much just personality, but also the whole profile, the skill set. What are they exactly trying to do? And so uh, while you can do some degree of matching, uh, it's it's not as perfect as it could be. And so we're still working on that one, trying to make that a little bit more automated. But right now we still have a, you know, when the automation and our end in the background occurs, we still try to curate with a human. So just to make it more accurate and our matches have been pretty good. We, we have, you know, quite a few clients that right from the get go, I'd say 90%, 90, more than 90% of the time, uh, it's a good match. You know, every occasionally, you know, we'll have to replace and say, okay, let's get you somebody else. Uh, understood 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 thanks thanks a lot for explaining that now can we talk about some numbers in terms of how many uh, clients you serve or how many manas you serve or how many people you serve or s- any statistics that you could give us to for for our listeners to kind of get a sense of uh, the scale of your business sure um so let's see in our within our system um we're not as big as say an Odesk or or some like or a freelancer.com of course because we're not we're not trying to be a big huge marketplace. So we have about in our internally system that we use that we utilize what we draw from we have about 3000 freelancers at the moment. Um and uh we've worked with uh 500 different about 500 different companies um uh mostly in the US although we do have international clients in in the Middle East and in Europe and in India as well. Uh, and so we have clients all over the place. Um, and let's see what else, I forgot what, what else you asked me there. Uh, Ron. Something to just give us a sense of the scale, the number of, uh, uh, number of jobs you have served or number of hours, your customers, have, uh, sorry, your, your freelancers have worked something to just kind of give us an oh, idea of yeah how, sure. how much sales are happening and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the, those are the uh, freelancers and the businesses, but, uh, the numbers I provided earlier, but however, uh, in terms of man hours, that's a good question. Uh, let's see, I'd have to, I'd probably have to get back to you on that, but I'd say over the last four years, um, it's, it's a big number. Um, a lot of our, a lot maybe, of our maybe, maybe you, maybe you could just tell ends up on a monthly basis, maybe an average, this many man hours you serve or, or quarterly something. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe on a monthly basis, that might be a little bit easier on a monthly basis. I'd say it's probably, um, just a ballpark right now. Not, not exact number, um, would, would be about, uh, uh, hang on. I'm doing some math in my head real quick here. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Probably about two to 3000 man hours, maybe a little bit North of wow, that. That's, that's great. That's, that's, that's really quite decent uh not too small not too huge also but yeah i think i think it's 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 quite quite good numbers uh now kind of like taking a step back you are always an entrepreneur and uh you have had several different startups uh in your career but uh, many of us aren't so lucky to be born or, or or to have that natural inclination towards entrepreneurship but uh, a lot of lot of us want to get into entrepreneurship, and so could you kind of uh, take us through the whole process of uh, an idea to execution, uh, or some some high level steps of uh, how how you would approach 
uh, an idea and turn it into something concrete, a, a product or a service? Sure. Um, I would say that, uh, let me start out by saying that uh, um, <clears throat> Any idea, so there's many, many ideas, and of course, uh, even as an entrepreneur, whether you have that entrepreneurial sort of uh, DNA or not, um, we all have lots of ideas. I think uh, everybody I speak to, friends, family, everybody always has ideas about how to make something better. Um, And I think from starting point, uh, you always have to sell first. So figure out, (laughs) and what I mean by that is figure out if, your idea is something people would even buy. And so that's, that's the first step is research, um, you know, really figuring out what's out there already um, and how you could improve on it. Um, research can be a little bit dangerous because it might deter you because if you see somebody that already has your idea, you might think to yourself, well, gee, somebody already thought of that. However, usually if somebody has thought of that, that's probably good because it validates somewhat your idea. But then if you go further uh, research, then you figure out if that idea actually is something that's popular or not, or maybe it's in its infancy and, and you see it raising, rising in popularity. And um, I'll give you an example. Um, I got, I, I was approached by uh, somebody to help try to co-found a drone startup. Drones are in their infancy, commercial drones worldwide. Um, and you know, I'm busy running this company, of course, but, uh, I found it interesting and intriguing just to check it out. And, uh, so I just did a little research just to figure it out. And I found that, yeah, it's actually, in fact, you know, it's, it's quite a, quite a, very much in its infancy. Although there are already businesses out there doing exactly the same thing that this particular entrepreneur is proposing. Um, and so I would say that's my first sort of advice is if you, have an idea is research it, but take everything with a grain of salt, meaning somebody may have already thought of your idea, but that's a good thing. And then go a little further to see if, you know, see how much further uh, that idea is along. And if, if, if it's too mature, the market's too mature or, or not. Uh, so that would be the first sort of tip or piece of advice from a starting a business standpoint. Once you do get past that and you decide, hey, I'm going to continue or tweak things a little bit and continue, then I would, uh, of course, at that point, go out and try to find a customer and uh, actually start speaking to real customers and almost doing, uh, again, sort of market research to really figure out if it's something that they would buy or if they're not going to buy, who would buy. And that's, uh, that's very important. Once that's done and you've, again, have, you feel like you validated what you needed to, um, you know, then based on all that feedback, your product or service or whatever that you're selling should be, you know, at that point, uh, designed and tweaked. This, we still continue, even, if, even though we're a few years into my staff now, we still continue to tweak and improve our processes uh, every day. In fact, you know, every time we... Uh, uh, speak to a client or we see something that didn't go quite right or even something that went well, uh, we, 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 we tend to improve our processes, you know, from, uh, internally. And, uh, that's what one day will make your business valuable, which is, you know, having a set of processes and almost a, a how to manual, uh, you know, you know, that will, that, that is something that 
most companies, if they're going to buy something, they're going to be buying um, something that is already ready-made, ready to go, and they don't have to do a whole lot other than maybe improve things. Um, and then once you do get uh, things started with your company, um, whether, uh, whether it's a product or service, I also see that many companies rush to try to find salespeople. So let's use a hypothetical example of a company that might start with product A and uh, they build product A, they raise money for product A, they raise venture capital perhaps, uh, and then they go out and start hiring. Uh, I would say that in the early days of your product or service, it's very important for you as the entrepreneur to do the sales, to really go out there and learn as much as you can about what you're selling and how you can improve it uh, day every day, day in, day out, because if you try to hire for sales too fast, uh, you'll miss you'll miss some opportunities uh, to really build something special. Uh, because you won't be, you know, at the sharp end of the stick, uh, talking to your clients. Uh, it's not to say you can't hire sales staff. Of course you can, but you got to make sure you're in the mix and you're very, very involved as well. Especially in the early days, as you build out whatever you're building, whether it's a service or a product. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think that that's a that's a good uh, segue into our uh, segment on uh, sales. Uh, I think uh, you 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 talked sure. uh, you touched a few times upon the importance of sales, and uh, uh, for our listeners out there, we are going to do a slightly deeper dive into sales. Uh, so you you already mentioned that uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, we should be out there in front selling. Now, uh, not everybody has a sales background, so how would we start? Let's say I'm a technical person or my skills are something else. So what would be your first advice on how we can try and sell our service or product? Uh, let's start with that and get into a few more questions about uh, sales uh, for entrepreneurs, sales 101 for entrepreneurs. Sure. Um I think uh, really the initial stage of an entrepreneur selling is just really talking about what you're doing, talking about your product, talking about uh, not necessarily the features of it, but the benefits, uh, a focus on the benefits to your target audience. So when you build a product or service, essentially you're having to figure out early on who is that target? Who is that target persona? Who am I selling to? Who is actually the buyer? Uh, and, and if you're selling to an enterprise company, a larger company, you have to figure out who within that company is your target persona. If you're selling to a small to medium-sized business, uh, also you have to figure that out because it could be the CEO, it could be the head of HR, it could be uh, the VP of sales, it could be who knows who, but you have to figure that out. And that's not always as easy as it sounds, um, especially when you're selling to a bigger company because there's so many functions in a big company that you have to figure that out first. Um, and, and you'll probably do that just by speaking to people and figuring out who's going to benefit from this. Um, so how, how you do that typically is, um, nowadays, of course, we have lots of technology. So we have LinkedIn and Facebook and other tools and, uh, services that we can connect with, connect people with. And so, um, I think that early in the early days, uh, using, Tools like that really can help you as you reach out to people in your network. Um, also, locally, where you where you are, where you live. Also, maybe trying to find meetups and uh, events that that would be up your alley, or, or maybe even a trade, a small trade show or a conference, um, and getting out there and talking to those targets, those target personas at those events. So, even though we live in an age of technology, 
the in-person or the one-to-one conversation still <laughs> still really makes a difference into the early stage success of your product and if, if you're actually on the right track. If you like this show, do follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The link is www.facebook.com slash foundersgyan and twitter.com slash foundersgyan. Both these provide you daily tips and articles as well as resources to help and inspire your startup. There are multiple tips per day. Some examples of these tips would be articles on the latest startups, growth hacking tips, how do you build team for startups, how to get funding, etc. So don't forget facebook.com slash foundersgyan and twitter.com slash foundersgyan. Right. So, so you, 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 got a, you raised a very interesting point about uh, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and all these social messenger, messenger tools. So have you personally had success just cold reaching out to people via LinkedIn? Uh, again, I'm talking about some of these enterprise businesses, uh, small and medium, small and uh, uh, medium sized companies. Maybe you could just approach them, knock on their doors, but uh, bigger companies, uh, uh, have you actually done a bit of research and found a person or got an intro to a person and have uh, had a bit of success via LinkedIn or any of these social media? Yeah, so like any, just like the real world, you can go and knock on doors. You can do the same thing on LinkedIn. You could You could blindly knock on doors. But my advice would be, uh, to search your network that you have on LinkedIn and see who's connected to who. And from that, try to get introductions. I, f- I have found, I have become, I have done, you know, been successful doing that. If I've reached out to, say, a friend who said, and I say, hey, I, I see that you are connected to uh, Joe or Tom at, uh, at uh, IBM and I want to get an introduction. Is that possible? Do you know him well enough? Um, that, that's a much better approach than just blindly trying to reach that person on LinkedIn. You can certainly try that. Uh, but, uh, I would, I found that the warm intro is much, much better or, um, or just get permission from your contact at the very least to reach out to that person and, and, and let them know that, you know, you have a mutual friend and that they, recommended that you reach out. So I, w- I would say even though you can reach out cold and you know, there are certainly certainly many lead generation programs out there that teach you how to do that. And I would say that the best approach is still a warm approach going through somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. I, I think, I think that's, that's a very good point. Uh, uh, I think there are always like some people in your network in your first or second degree connections uh, who can give you this intro. So uh, I think it's really wise to use that. Now, once you have that in uh, to a specific uh, person, uh, could be an enterprise, could be a small uh, medium business uh, talk a little bit more about the sales pitch. Okay, you, you have a meeting set up. Now, what do you think are the key aspects uh, in a sales pitch? And uh, uh, and maybe you could also talk about uh, where uh, many entrepreneurs go wrong so that we can avoid those same mistakes. Sure. Um, from a sales pitch perspective, I think, it, in, especially in the early days of a, of a product or service, um, you're really trying to get it right. You're trying to sell something that is of value that will benefit them, but will also help you learn. And um, so uh, by reaching out um, again, if, if we use the example 
of a warm of a warm intro or somebody in your network that is a part of a network you're in um, reaching out to them with sort of the background of hi I'm you know promote and uh, I have this product sales matcher and I see that you're hiring for sales and I would love to see if we can help you out by doing that um, we're we're not a recruiter we don't necessarily charge you recruiting prices and we'd be happy you know to uh, to show you how that works and how you can find the right candidates much faster than what you're doing now and take that sort of so figure out that pitch what does that pitch sound like in terms of an intro it should be very brief uh, but it should also um, give them the benefits so in, in what I just described there I I gave them a benefit, you know, which was I help you find your candidates much faster uh, because I, I do know that it, it takes them a long time to find the right candidates and many times they get it wrong. So they don't have time to waste. So if I tell them that I can save them time and get them, uh, help them become more accurate, typically I found you, if you have that right pitch, they want to, they're going to listen at least. And that's all you want at that point. You want them to listen. That's what you're going for. Uh, so from a sales pitch perspective to get to get because remember in sales the first step is you want to get in front of somebody that's that's the first step and that's that's not always easy and then the second step is actually once you're in front of them then it's a whole nother ball game as to as far as your pitch goes um but uh, i would say a, a many pit, a pitfall that many people fall into there is they try to explain all the features of what their product does or the service does and they lose they lose the potential buyer at that point because the potential buyer is busy they don't have time necessarily to uh, listen to all that but if you just quickly in you know two or three words sum up or two or three sentences sum up how you're going to benefit them and save them time or whatever you're saving them money in, in some cases uh, then they're going to be more apt to uh, take a few minutes and listen to you and, and maybe get you in front of, uh, of the right people at that point as well, other other people within their organization. Right, right. I, I think I think excellent advice. And uh, uh, I, I sense a uh, uh, I, I sense a theme here uh, wherein uh, the on, it's it's better to always talk about uh, the benefits that the other 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 person gets rather than talk about the features of the product. So I think I think that's really excellent advice uh, and and useful. Uh, now I just have. One final question on the sales side of things. Now, uh, now, yeah, getting a sales pitch is difficult. You got got the uh, got the intro. Uh, you have made the pitch. They are happy to listen. So you go. You you start talking. Uh, blah blah blah. Negotiations uh, negotiations happen, and then the closing. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of salespeople say that the closing is the toughest part, right? Of the of the whole thing. Do you agree? Disagree? And what tips would you give for closing the sale? Yeah, so it depends. Um, sometimes getting in front of somebody can be very difficult as well. However, uh, closing, of course, is probably psychologically the hardest or most difficult for uh, most people because now they're actually asking for money and that somebody has to hand the money over. Um, I think that if you've, if you've gone through the process and you've done a good job of, of selling um, over, through you know from the start to finish, meaning from the initial sort of let me show you what what we have to actually sitting down and uh, signing a contract. That once you get to that point, uh, you know they they've 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 bought, and so it's not as hard as it sounds in terms of trying to you know trying to close that final deal. Although um, 
But although you're, that is a really good point that it is, you know, again, psychologically very difficult to ask for that money for many people. Um, and, um, so not, I'd say that sales personality, which is one of the things we focus on with our sales matcher product, um, some people are born a certain way, but you can certainly become a certain way too. Your personality does change over time. The more you do something, uh, the more comfortable it becomes and therefore then the easier it is for one to do it. So I would say that for a, a new entrepreneur or even one that's experienced that's help having trouble with the closing aspect, um, that if you keep doing it, um, then you will get better at it and you will become more comfortable at it. Uh, in terms of that asking and always kind of honing how you speak, how you how you talk. And, of course, a product, a good product or good service should, to some extent, sell itself as well. That's not necessarily, a, you know, a true statement by itself. But if something is attractive and somebody has a need and they have a requirement that they need to fill and your product fills that, um, they're, they're going to be very interested. So it's really up to you to... Um, not screw that up, <laughs> I guess would be the best way to describe that. But uh, one, of the, one of the things, if we go really tactical here, to, to your point about people having trouble, is they speak too much. Once the buyer has decided that they're going to buy, uh, there's a tendency, especially if the, if the sale is made in person. Um, you know, a lot of times these days we make sales uh, transactionally on the, on the web. You know, people click a button and make a sale. But if you're actually sitting in a room with, with, a, with, with somebody, they have a tendency to to talk too much. Once the buyer has decided that they're going to buy, the best thing to do is to limit what you need to say and and just get to that close and leave the room because at some point after that, you're going to have a follow-up. You're going to have a kickoff with the client. You're going to have uh, you know plenty of uh, time to chat, but you want to get past that hurdle of, hey, we are now clients. We have money coming from this client or we are now, you know, we are now doing business and we have money coming from these clients. And that's, that's always hard because, um, especially as an entrepreneur in the early days, you have a tendency to give away a lot of your time, <coughs> excuse me. And you, uh, <coughs> you really do have to get paid as well. As well. Yeah, yeah. Excellent advice. I think, uh, I, I can, uh, completely relate to that. Uh, you know, sh- shut up once the sale is done is uh, really important. I, we, we try to, you know, especially first time, first timers, whether it is sales or uh, whether it's uh, you just getting uh, a leave approval from your boss in your job, you try to justify or keep saying thank you over and over again, which is not really necessary. That that could give the other person second thoughts, you know. <laughs> so I think just shut up and just just take the money once the sale is done. I think is is great <laughs> advice. Um, uh, I, I I just wanted to ask you one final question on this. Uh, do you have any books that you can re- you can recommend uh, on sales uh, specifically? If you have, that would be great. Or if not, uh, maybe just on entrepreneurship and and business crea- creation of businesses. Uh, are there any books uh, you would recommend uh, or or any resources also? Yeah, online resources. Yeah, there's so many out there, of course, these days. Um, but one, the, a couple of books that stand out uh, right off the top of my head at the moment are um, uh, one is a book that actually helped me because, or my early days when I really didn't think of myself as a salesperson. But every entrepreneur, to some extent, has to be a salesperson. And it was called the book is called 
the accidental salesperson. <laughs> so uh, that's a, that was something that st- stuck out to me. I read that book many years ago. Uh, one book that I used recently in the last year uh, that stands out is a book called Traction. Uh, and it's a great book, especially for a startup as they're, as they're getting started on how to actually market and sell. Uh, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is marketing. Uh, marketing and sales sometimes get meshed together, but they are essentially two different activities that intertwine, you know, throughout the process. But, uh, uh, but, but they are, they can, you know, they are quite a bit different in terms of, you know, and one is trying to educate and get you in front of people. And then the actual sales is, you know, further education and actually starting to do business together. So, uh, traction is one. And then uh, another book that I just recently, um, picked up and started reading, uh, I'm not completely through it, but I really think it's a great book. Uh, it's a book about um, customer service and how to design your your service and and your organization. And it's called Uncommon Service. How to? Um, I'm trying to think of the title here. Uncommon Service and uh, how to win. Well, yeah, just Uncommon Service. That's it. Sorry okay. about that. Okay, great. The the sub the here's the subtitle the subtitle is how to win by putting customers at the core of your business. So uh, Francis Frey is the author, and it's 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 really a good read. So excellent, far. excellent. We'll we'll link all those up on the show notes. I might have heard of the accidental sales uh, salesperson. I think I might have read it or heard about it. Uh, but yeah, these these are great great recommendations, and uh, I'll I'll be sure to check them out also. So uh, thanks for that. Now. Um, uh how old is uh, your your company right now it's four years right you said it's for about four years that, right that's correct and uh, that's correct obviously yes. there have been a lot of changes in uh, technology and uh, it's it's really not fair to compare uh four years back with now but uh assume that uh, the technological changes uh, as, let's assume that there are not too many technological changes but more from a business perspective, uh, is there anything you do different if you start this business, say today? Um, let's see. If, is there anything different that we would do if we started this business today? Um, in spite of the fact that there have been a lot of technological technological changes, um, there's still a huge market of or, or, or audience of businesses that still haven't gotten online to find talent. Um, much of the searching for talent, whether it's freelance or even traditional uh, finding, you know, recruiting full-time employees, is still done the traditional way, which is offline. <laughs> and so I don't know that there's much I would do differently in terms of marketing it as an online business. What I might do differently from a technology standpoint um, is uh, get started a little bit sooner on, on my technology. We started our, you know, we started the business purely as a service business initially, and then we went to uh, more product and more online presence. Um, but uh, so I, I would probably go right to online presence, you know, from the get go, which I think most people do these days, anyways. But it, it's surprising to me still to see so many people 
are many, so many companies still doing things offline and, and sort of, so yes, technology has changed, but habits have not necessarily changed in that time frame. Okay. Excellent. Excellent uh, answer there. And, uh, uh, you had so many different companies and, uh, so the entrepreneurship is always like a roller coaster ride. You have your highs and your lows. Uh, but can you pick one moment? Uh, is, is there one specific moment that comes to your mind when you think of a really low point i mean it could be this 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 business or it could be one of your previous ventures can you can you pick a, a really low point and uh, tell us what was the lesson you learned from that moment uh, i mean you could have turned it around or not that's i think uh, it, if you had turned it around great if not uh, that's that's hard luck but uh, I, I think uh, I, i'd be very interested in hearing the lessons you learned from your lowest point in your uh, entrepreneurship journey. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, points. Uh, as you said, it's a roller coaster, and that's very true. Uh, but one point that stands out is uh, oh, about five, six years ago when uh, I was expanding at that time. Um, actually, six years ago, I was expanding almost seven. So my timing is uh, a little bit off there, but uh, almost seven years ago when we were expanding Intelligent Office. At the time, I was running that full-time uh, and expanded a little bit too fast. Uh, the U.S. economy was going through a recession, and we were in a bit of a pickle with our bank who had lent us uh, a loan and given us a, home, a, a line of credit. Um, and they came to us and said, we need you to pay off the line of credit, which was several hundred thousand dollars at the time. Uh, and there was no way that we were going to be able to do it. So we were really being squeezed by them. Um, and it became a bit of a fight. Uh, and yeah, it could have gone one way where we could have lost the entire business or um, we had to figure out a solution. And so ultimately, after probably a month of conversation and negotiations and heartache and sleepless nights, uh, we did figure out a solution and um, came to that solution and and moved on and and. and Eventually, you know, a year later, we were debt free for, you know, in that particular business. So, so it was a relatively good story in terms of the end result. But during that process uh, of, you know, negotiating with the bank, uh, it was very stressful. Uh, and I really wasn't sure that, you know, which way it was going to go. Because if we weren't able to pay off what they wanted, we, they could have easily taken our business from us uh, and sold it themselves or done whatever they wanted um, so that was the collateral at the time and, and yeah, we almost lost it. So that, that particular one point sticks out. There's many others on the roller coaster, um, days and, you know, you can't make payroll or what have you, but, uh, that you know, I've had in the past, but, um, yeah. And what, what was the biggest lesson out of that, uh, that particular, yeah, incident? Um, I think, uh, maybe a few lessons came out of that. Um, one, was that uh, when it comes to growing and expanding and scaling a business, uh, you do have to be careful. You have to know how to put the brakes on and when not to when to say no. Uh, it's very easy when opportunities are presented in front of you to just say yes because it sounds great because you can see your business growing and scaling. Uh, but if I had to look back and do that all over again, we might have slowed down our expansion and not been as aggressive. And I, I think that was 
the lesson that took away there was that I really should have taken a good look at what we were doing. And, you know, from a financial perspective, it was fairly obvious that we were expanding very fast and taking on more risk. Um, and I should have been a little bit more cautious. Had I been more cautious, we would have never gotten into that situation as well. Okay, great. Uh, I just have a, a couple of final questions. Uh, uh, what is the best advice uh, you have read, heard, or uh, seen and uh, try to follow in your uh, own life and business? Yeah, that's a good uh, there's so much of that as well I could give, uh, and, and, and it's hard to pick one. But I think the one thing that always has stuck with me is this quote. I can't remember who said it, but it, love what you do, do what you love is something that has stuck with me that whenever I question if I'm what I'm doing, if I'm enjoying it, uh, is do I love what I'm doing? And so that would be the best advice. Great, great. Excellent. Um, so I just have one final question, but before we uh, move on to that, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Obviously, they can check out your uh, mystuffnow.com as well as Sales Matcher. That is S-A-L-E-S-M-A-T-C-H-R without an E, uh, salesmatcher.com uh, to uh, work with you directly. Uh, that's, that's always there. But uh, apart from that, if uh, entrepreneurs uh, and listeners want to uh, reach out to you uh, either for uh, uh, for discussing some uh, business ideas, mentorship, whatnot. Uh, what's the best way? Uh, are you active on LinkedIn, Twitter, email? What's what's your poison of choice? Yeah, all of the above. Um, uh, email, of course, is fine. Promote, uh, P-R-A-M-O-D, at mystaffnow.com. Or LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, full name, Promote Rahasia, on Twitter. Um, and, uh, so any of the above would be a fine way to contact me. Great. I will link those up also on the show notes so that uh, people can get in touch with you. Uh, and so, uh, promote the, uh, I just want to just take the time to thank you and uh, acknowledge, uh, your, uh, your time and, uh, uh, what you're doing for, for the, uh, for the economy and, uh, and the startup world, uh, not only by means of your, uh, uh, uh company but also uh, in sharing your valuable knowledge and uh, and insights uh, to myself and our listeners so uh, thank you so much for that and uh, with that we'll move on to the final question now uh, let's assume that uh, whatever we have been chatting about for the past uh, 45 minutes is is not recorded at all i mean by mistake i <laughs> didn't turn on the record button i'm just kidding i did turn on the record button <laughs> but okay. let's assume that i didn't uh, and uh, you know nothing has been recorded so we just have time for one gyan that you can give our listeners only one gyan what would that be um i would say that one word of wisdom for me is passion I mean, I think if you're excited, you know, when it comes to passion, if you're excited in the morning when you wake up about what you're doing and, and, and you really feel strongly about it and you, you get, a, get up excited, then you're passionate. And that passion will carry you through that roller coaster of emotion that, that inevitably comes along with entrepreneurship. Okay. Thanks a lot so much, uh, Pramod, uh, for, for your uh uh, for your passion and giving this interview also i could see that coming through uh, so thanks so much for that and uh, it was a real pleasure chatting with you thank you ram i appreciate it it was a pleasure also and thank you as well uh, it was it was a pleasure 
Tushar, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show to answer questions with regards to IP, trademark and all those jazzy stuff. If uh, any of you listeners out there have a question uh, that you'd like Tushar to answer, please use the hashtag hash ask Marcus, that is A-S-K-M-A-R-C-A-S on Facebook and Twitter. And we will uh, pick out the most interesting questions and answer them in an upcoming episode of Founders Gyan. Uh, so thanks. Thanks again, Tushar, for uh, for agreeing to answer some of our listeners' questions. My pleasure. Ram. Also, a quick disclaimer. Uh, this advice is gen- general in nature. If you have specific questions with regards to your brand or your trademark, we suggest consulting a lawyer before taking any advice that you hear on this podcast. My logo contains my brand name. So by registering my logo, will my name get protection as well or should I do something else? It is a common myth that, you know, by registering a logo, having a name will provide protection to both name as well as the logo. There is a difference between protecting a word mark and protecting a logo. So by registering a word mark, that is your brand name will provide you protection for all fonts and phonetically similar sounds. So for example, you have registered Founders Gyan and someone comes and tries to register Founders Gyan with a different spelling, say F-O-O-U-N-D-E-R-S and Gyan. So then you can stop him from using that particular mark because it is phonetically similar to your to your name. So, but however, in case of logo, you can only protect someone protect from using the similar logo it has to be uh, the color combination comes in and there are so many other things to check as well so it's always better to get your brand name registered first and then logo i'm a bootstrap startup does it make sense to register trademark right now or should i wait to get funded in my opinion initial days are the best time to register your brand name this is because by protecting your brand name in initial days you're not just preventing others from using your brand name, but this will this will also let you know whether any brand with similar or same name same name exists or not. So this is the waiting for funding could be like too late, and someone else can register it, register your brand name and use your brand value. So that's the whole reason why Marcas decided to offer free filing of trademark registration just to ease out the burden of the, you know, ease out the burden. Okay, thanks uh, Tushar for uh, your time in answering these questions uh, for a limited time. Marcas uh, is offering free filing of trademark. You just have to pay the uh, the government registration fees. More details can be had on www.marcas.in. Uh, thank you very much uh, Tushar once again for your time. Thank you, thank you Ram. Thank you for having me on your show again. That's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do leave us a review on iTunes or a comment on the show notes page. This will help us improve our show. I'll see you all next week with yet another startup and its founder. In the meantime, I do hope you got inspired and take action on your own startup today. Good luck and have a great rest of the week ahead.